Welcome to a new episode of the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. The new the voice new of voice success. success. We all want to feel successful and fulfilled in our lives, but that can be a bumpy road. Through the experiences, journeys and advice of our guests here on Big Idea Big Moves, we will help you get a jump start on experiencing and cultivating whole life success. Be ready to take notes. Every episode has action items that you can apply to your own life right away. Okay, let's get this started. I will now pass you over to the host of Big Idea Big Moves, Jamie Allison. Hi again, everybody. I'm Jamie Allison, and this is the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different genres, just different fields, people doing really cool things in their space that we can take bits and pieces away from their journeys and what they're doing and hopefully apply them to our own lives as well. Um, we talk to CEOs, we talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to lots of athletes and people in different kind of areas of, uh, that maybe you haven't heard of and maybe you have, um, but there's always something in their journey that hopefully we can take bits and pieces away from that and have some really cool discussions as we go along today. Uh, really interested to have uh, the conversation today. Um, Elizabeth Montavant is a nine-time national champion, former U.S. national team member, and ranked eighth in the world in pro women's slalom. So we're talking about water skiing, um, and she skied for the University of Alabama on a full scholarship, was awarded All-American honors three times during her collegiate career. And in addition to being a pro water skier, she's also a CrossFit competitor, a podcast host, an entrepreneur, and social media influencer. So a whole, um, you know, a whole life kind of success guest, which is exactly what we talk about. So um, thanks very much for taking the time. Elizabeth, just before you came on here, we talked about you've been doing lots of traveling, lots of things going on. So thanks for fitting us into your, uh, into your busy schedule today. Really appreciate it. No, Jamie, thank you for having me. I really appreciate people like you who are able to look at the big picture of, you know, what successful people do. Um, it's really easy to emphasize one achievement in one area or maybe a series of achievements in one area. But I think we all know that there's so much more to that picture. Um, and they tend to pursue lots of different things. And maybe not all of them are at a high, high end, but we know they put effort you know, that kind of effort into all those things. And it, it all facilitates getting better in all these areas. So I, I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And that that is important to us is, is that whole life success, because there are lots of um, lots of people we talk to that, you know, have really excelled in one area that people might know of. But um, but boy, you know, you're a great example of, of doing that. And we are going to talk about that probably first. But then we're also going to talk about all these other cool things that you've kind of branched out to as well. So um, so why don't we start just so that people understand a little bit about, um, you know, your your journey from your I mean, you're a pro water skier. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, how for some people, I mean, where I'm from, I'm in Canada and there's lots of people who water ski, lots of lakes up here and things like that. Um, but they think of that as, as um, you know, recreational. And how did you get into kind of the pro circuit and things like like that, um, that, you know, for some people is just kind of a real cool journey. So why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, that end to start? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm one of um, a few water skiers on pro tour right now where we say they come from like a legacy family, yeah. meaning I'm a third generation water skier or more. Um, and, you know, I have to give so much credit to my mom and her parents for pursuing this sport. That's not really as mainstream as others yeah. um, and making the effort to ski and to ski at a high end and then teaching, you know, me um, how to ski, how to train, how the industry works, um, because that's really how we continue to grow the sport. It's one of the ways is to yeah. pass it down um, because it is so unique. 
Um, and it's not something you can necessarily just go pick up today, right? You need right. people. And that's something that I've always loved about water skiing is um, you cannot do it alone. No matter how much, you know, we might want to just go work by ourselves in, in a dark gym and turn the music up, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Because um, there's always a time and place for that. But, you know, with skiing, you need at least a boat driver. And right. there's a relationship that forms there. And that is your training partner. And if you're lucky enough to have somebody also ride in the boat um, as your spotter, as we call it, that's another, you know, person on your team. Um, and I think that even though it's an individual sport, um, and it's all on you to perform, even when you're on a team, we don't ski at the same time. So your performance is added in and all those, you know, scores that are compiled to make that bigger team score, but it's still essentially an individual sport, but we still have this team that helps us. And that's something that I really have enjoyed about skiing is the pressure is all on me. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it does come down to me. Um, but I still get to have my people with me and I, I don't feel alone. Um, and so my first team was my family. Um, my grandpa uh, helped build the very first Mastercraft boat. A lot of people are familiar with Mastercraft. So yeah. um, just down the street from where I'm at right now, he was cutting fiberglass and gluing it together and shaping the hull with uh, Mr. Rob Shirley, who, you know, is the creator of Mastercraft. Um, so my grandparents were very, very involved in the sport. They both were national champions and national record holders. Mm -hmm. um, and then they had my mom and my mom just has this natural athletic ability, kind of almost like a gymnastics kind of ability. Mm -hmm. She probably should have been a gymnast and, or an ice skater or something on top of her ski career. Um, but she had that, you know, compact build and she had really great spatial awareness. And so she was the first woman to do a lot of tricks in the trick ski category that at the time only men were doing. And not only was she the first woman to do them, but she was 11 and 12 years old. Wow. So she wow. was very much, you know, a pioneer of the sport. Um, I'll always think she doesn't get enough credit, but she's my mom. So I'm very, very biased. <laughs> hey, but this is the time to do it. I mean, you've got a pro you've got that profile, so you might as well make sure you everyone knows about it. So. <laughs> right. And, you know, she um, she had a great pro career, um, very successful pro career um, and kind of fulfilled everything she wanted to do with it by 19 years old and actually retired, which um isn't really that normal in water skiing today. Today, yeah. we have athletes on the tour who are as oldest 40, 41, 42, and still at the very top of the game. Yeah. Um, not fighting for a podium spot by any means. Actually, you expect to see them on the podium. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people might say she retired a little bit early. And that's kind of where the story gets very different. So for me, um, I grew up as a pro trick skier mm -hmm. because that's what my mom did. Um, and I just, you know, you watch and learn from the best. Yeah. Um, but I ended up being a lot taller than what my parents' genetics, like what you would have guessed by looking at them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's really not that compact, like gymnastics build. So trick skiing was difficult for me purely because of my build. Yeah. Um, I'm about 5'9". I weigh like 143 pounds. Um, I'm not big, but I'm not itty bitty. Yeah. And so after college, which I was, I was a trick skier um, in college. After college, it was like, okay, I know I still want to be in skiing. I love skiing. I've spent a lot of time on a ski. It's, you know, over two decades of my life. What am I going to do with this if I can't do it in this particular skill set? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing about skiing is it's a three discipline sport. So there's trick skiing, mm -hmm. there's jump, um, which is distance off of a ramp. 
Yeah. It all just comes down to distance. Um, and then there's slalom skiing. And I had never jumped because I never really had an interest in it, but I had slalomed kind of more for fun. Um, my parents would say, go out there, go around those buoys, keep doing it. So you can't, we'll shorten the rope. We'll speed up the boat. Yeah. But I never really had a lot of coaching at how to do it well. Right. So it was right. just kind of like whatever your gut instinct tells you, like how to go around these buoys better was kind of what I was trusting, which, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about sports, right? It's all counterintuitive. Um, so after college, you know, my coach said, Hey, like, you're not going to be a pro trick skier for much longer. These girls are getting really, really good. Mm -hmm. And like, you just don't have it. If you want to do it, we can, we can try, but it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. And he was like, you're built like a solemn skier. He's like, what do you have to lose? If we take your solemn skiing, strip it all down, relearn all the skills. And you say, Hey, like, I want to be a pro solemn skier on the tour. He goes, worst case scenario, you fail. Everyone laughs at you and you just like leave the sport. Yeah. And I'm like, that might sound terrible to some, but to me, it was like, no, there's really no risk there because I'm going to try to get better. And if I don't, I don't, but like, I probably will, because, you know, if you have a good coach and you put in work, it's very unlikely that you won't get better at something. Yep. Um, and that was how my pro slalom career was born. And I started, wow. you know, going to a couple events. I went to the Malibu open in 2018 and I got last. <laughs> and I went to the Malibu Open in 2019 and got second to last. <laughs> hey, it's improvement. <laughs> um, but then in 2020, I went to the Moomba Masters in Melbourne, Australia. This is my first time skiing internationally. I went all by myself. It was a last minute decision. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and I didn't get last or second to last. I actually made the first cut um, to the second round. And then mm -hmm. I made the cut again to the final round. So it was the first time I'd ever made a finals in my, you know, pro career. Yeah. Um, I think I placed like maybe sixth or something like, I don't even remember the placement. It was more to me. I made a finals, you know, in a foreign country, <laughs> in this event that I'm not supposed to be good at yet. And yeah. that was kind of like the, the launch pad to where my career is at now. Wow. Very cool. And a lot of people probably wouldn't realize that that's that's a pretty heavy risk you took, even though you didn't see it as a risk to most people. That would have seemed like a, a big risk to completely shift at that stage of your career. So um, uh, pretty cool to hear that. Um, you did mention something there about the relationship with um, the driver and, and a spotter, but the driver in particular. And and um, uh, I know only because I'm a horrible water skier that that a, a, a good driver can actually help you even in the very basic be beginner stuff. But how much how much of a difference does that make at a at a pro level where obviously a lot of it is on you and, and your skill set? Um, does it make a big difference at that level as to, you know, the relationship with with the driver of the boat? Absolutely, because the drivers are now um, monitored in real time um, mm -hmm. using um, different algorithms. And essentially, the driver has a margin of error of 20 centimeters mm. where they measure the pylon um, from side to side. So the driver, to preserve their integrity as a professional high-end driver in the sport, is conscious of that margin of error that they're allowed. Yeah. Um which I think only makes sense. They want to, you know, retain that role um, and they want to be known as a good driver. Yeah. And because we are able to measure things with such precision now, it's very easy for people to say, that's a good driver, that's a bad driver, mm. which in a lot of ways could be seen as counterproductive to the sport because labeling things good and bad, it, it's, it's just never that black and white, right? Yeah. Um, however, 
it is a tool now that we have that precision and we have that data. Um, we're seeing a shift in drivers' abilities in tournaments to drive with more precision to the point where they don't even need that whole 20 centimeters. Maybe they only need 10 centimeters of margin of error. Now, we would never want those constraints to shrink to actually 10 because that would be impossible to maintain over a long period of time in an event. But we're seeing that that skill set is getting uh, extremely high end and extremely specific. Mm -hmm. um, and for us as the skiers, that does mean they could hurt us or they could help us because now they really do know where they're putting the boat um, down to the centimeter. Uh -huh. And that affects that affects us. I mean, skiing is lives very much by the laws of physics. All sports do. But I mean, I think skiing almost more, <laughs> almost yeah. like there's more physics involved in some sports. Um, so all those little measurements do impact us. Um, and that's why it's important to have a good relationship with the drivers on the tour. Um, and it really comes down to just being decent, you know, thanking them yeah. for their time. Most of them don't get paid to drive these events. They're doing it as a volunteer you know, service because they love the sport and they want to sure. see it continue to grow, um, you know, and thanking them, spending time talking to them um, if they need help with something, because most of them are skiers, too. Um, you know, and in whatever way we can give back to them, whatever our time and resources are, um, I think this is the time to give back because they're definitely under the microscope. Um, and the last thing we want to do is add additional scrutiny as the athletes as well, because it is a teamwork project. It should not be, you know, skier versus driver. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. And, um, you know, you mentioned uh, like, and I know even just looking at your schedule, there are a lot of events that, that you have. Is there a, is there a cadence to the, like, is there a season? Is there a cadence to the events or is it just that, um, depending on kind of where and obviously climates and all that fun stuff, but, um, but it, you know, how does that work for you? How do you know when you're going to be where and, uh, you know, it, is something very different than another one event, very different than another. So we're living in a really cool time in pro water skiing right now, because, um, a couple of years ago, the official Water Ski Pro Tour was established and sanctioned by the IWWF, which is the International Water Ski and Wakeboard Federation. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a, a rebirth of a structure for pro skiers. Yeah. Um, you had fans who wanted to know what the hell is going on yeah. <laughs> and where, yeah. where can I find out and how can I watch? And you had pro skiers going, I didn't know about that event until two weeks before. I can't mm -hmm. book a ticket and, and change you know, my life to get there in time. Yeah. So... Um, a really, you know, smart and passionate group of people um, in the sport. And we had pro skiers involved. We had um, industry executives. Uh, we had lots of different people um, help create this tour so that it was, you know, from a well-balanced perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so now we're actually seeing a little bit of structure um, that I may actually able to answer that question. So, you know, yeah. typically um, the season starts in early March um, at the Moomba Masters, which is in Australia. It's mm -hmm. the end of their summer. Uh, and so we see everybody go down there and kind of kickstart the pro season there. Yeah. Um, from there, you'll see, you know, maybe one or two pro events in the US, probably Florida, because it's still spring. We need that warm weather yeah. uh, before you get into US Masters territory. So and mm -hmm. end, uh, end of May is the US Masters. Um, probably one of the most prestigious events in water skiing, very hard to secure an invitation. Mm -hmm. So you'll see either um, LCQ events or pro events um, to garner one of those invitations in May. 
Um, then there's usually a little bit of a break just because of the fatigue of trying to qualify um, and, you know, potentially qualifying, traveling, competing. It's physically and emotionally so very draining. Yeah. Um, then the tour usually has like maybe one or two stops in the U.S. before it goes to Europe for mm -hmm. four to five stops. Uh, then we see it go to the West Coast in the U.S. for a couple stops before it returns to Florida, occasionally the East Coast, like we might see a stop in Charleston, it just depends. Um, but usually it comes back to Florida for a few stops and um, it looks like now the new trend is for it to actually end in Miami with the last stop uh, being in Miami in November. So it's right. a much longer season than traditionally for mm -hmm. pro skiing. Yeah. Um, but what's great about it is it means that for the most part, aside from those invitation only events, we as the pro skiers can pick and choose so we can go to, if I want to go to eight events this year, I can go to eight events yeah. and I can pick ones that fit my, my life and, you know, my schedule better. Because even though I love skiing, I, you know, I have a family and I have sure. a job <laughs> and I have other things too. So, yeah. um, I'm loving what we're seeing in this new format in the pro tour. Yeah. Very cool. And, and you did mention you've got other things. So the one thing that, that people, um, uh, you know, listening would be interested in finding out more about is, is you've, you've taken, um, you know, obviously your, your love of the sport, but you um, have created, and I'd like to say it's almost a full brand because you have a, an apparel kind of connection to it. You have a podcast I know and, and other things. So tell me a little bit about um, the kind of entrepreneurial side of, of what you've been doing and, and how you, uh, how you started that and, and where that came from for yourself. Yeah. So, you know, something I'm really passionate about and an epiphany that I had early on in my career, because I, I started my pro slalom career later in life than what mm -hmm. some might, um, I had to learn a lot of skills as a full-on adult, which yeah. as an adult, breaking habits and learning new habits is always harder than if you just learned it as a kid, right? I yeah. think a lot of us wish we could go back and coach our, you know, five-year-old self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uncertain habits. So, <laughs> In relearning um, certain skills on the water, um, I had a lot of appreciation for other adults who were passionate about relearning skills, breaking habits, creating new habits for themselves. Yeah. And so I felt like the worst thing I could really do was gatekeep anything that I was learning mm -hmm. because in the event, it helps somebody get better, run one more buoy or feel better about the work that they're doing today, even though it might not have rendered a, a massive result, yeah. um, maybe it helped get them down the path a little bit further. And so I wanted to find a way to share what I was learning, share my resources, share the, the new people I was meeting, the connections. Sometimes it is about just, you know, running into the right person, um, all of that. And so I felt like a, a podcast was a really good format for that, because mm -hmm. especially if you have somebody with you, you kind of just talk things out you know, yeah. from experience. Um, and I'm a, I'm a copywriter by trade. So, you know, writing is very easy for me as well. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't do it justice, especially yeah. when you're talking about coaching, you know, in any sport, reading coaching written out is different than hearing it um, yeah. verbally. And so that was kind of where the brand came from was let's give people something to get behind that validates their hard work um, and restores the dignity of hard work. And it's not always about winning everything every time, mm -hmm. but it's about feeling good about putting work in because there are a lot of water skiers who choose not to compete, right? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create a brand that um, people could get behind and feel like they were part of something, even though we're all 
hundreds, if not thousands of miles apart from each other because yeah. water skiing is global. And so yeah. that's really where it came from was about sharing um, and, and connecting and, and creating something that they, you know, we have their back. Even yeah. when they, if they had a bad ski day, but they still worked on what they wanted to work on today, we've got your back. That was the right thing to do. You know, you are not alone yeah. in this, in this sport or anything that you want to achieve. We're here for you. Now you, you've kind of mentioned there that you're providing that for other people. How did you yourself, I mean, you know, you, you've got, um, you've got a very professional kind of website for it and all of those things. Um, how do you, how do you learn those things? Did you, did you kind of, um, you know, have a lot of people that you had to, like, did you have to relearn a lot of that or did you have just some really good kind of connections and understanding yourself from what you do outside of skiing? Yeah. You know, I would say that I'm, I'm really lucky in what I do for work, um, working for a marketing yeah. advertising agency yeah. because I'm around really smart people, really creative people. So I, I learn a lot every single day. Yeah. Um, but you know, that being said, there wasn't really anybody in the water ski industry to model off of because water mm -hmm. skiing, I mean, it's a niche within a niche, right? Water yeah. sports is already a niche and then we're, yeah. you know, diving down even further. So it was kind of a, okay, we're going to shoot in the dark, but we're going to do it like as educated, you know, an educated shot in the dark, if you will, yeah, because yeah. I don't know who's, who has a model that's working. And so I don't know what's going to work, but we're going to try our best. And we've, you know, pivoted and, and redirected several times in things like colors mm -hmm. and verbiage and product offerings and things like that. And I think that's natural with any business. Sure. You're constantly evolving and pivoting, of course. But um, a lot of it was YouTube tutorials and, mm -hmm. you know, search like Reddit, Reddit, and then yep. answer this, you know, <laughs> what do you guys think yeah, about Go this? Google is your friend for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> and then just like, you know, using my social media and just asking my followers like, hey, you know, you guys are the, the skier die brand it, it's for you like what do you want to see in this yeah. regard like what do you want your t-shirts to be made of uh what things do you want me to talk about in the next couple of weeks on the podcast yeah. um instead of it being a an ego project for me you know just producing things and talking about things that i want to it's like no what do you guys need in your life how can i make your life better and then we'll go from there very cool. And, and with that, then how do you, how do you, because you said, you know, you, you work, you've got family, you've got um, all the things that you're doing. How do you approach, um, you know, just balancing a lot of that? Because obviously you've got lots of things juggling in the air. How, how do you balance that yourself or at least attempt to? I know the big, the big B word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's something that I really have to work on very consciously. Um, cause I'm very much a, a go, go, go person. I, yeah. I look at everything and I just see so much potential and I want to execute on that potential. Um, you know, we'll plan in a, a day off to not do anything. And I'd be like, okay, cool. We've got free time. So I can renovate this and I can go do this and this. And it's like, no, that's not the point of a rest day. So, um, you know, my, my circle of people, my, my fiance and my parents, um, they've been very good at helping me stay mindful about how important rest is and that kind of nothingness space in your mind. Um, and that does not come naturally to me, but I, um, I try to prioritize um, the things that are important to me and that I know that if I only had that, I, for the rest of my life, I would be fine, which really family does come first in that sense. Yep. Um, 
And that's why I have to give them so much credit because there is no achievement for being good at family. Um, you know, I have all these ski accolades, but I don't get any for family. And so it almost looks like family might not be important to me, but um, no, my family absolutely is my biggest priority. Um, and then doing things that really make my body feel good and healthy is a huge kind of filter for everything else I do in my life, you know? So movement is good. Drinking a lot of water is good cooking at home is, is good for me, um, getting a lot of sleep, kind of all of those things. Um, and that's really the first question I ask myself is, does this actually make me feel good, you know, feel better? <laughs> and then, you know, kind of go um, from, from there. Now, does it, um, do you, are you the kind of person who writes stuff out, does goal setting from that end? Or is it, um, you know, I guess, how do you approach that? Because you've talked about kind of how you how you prioritize. Is that done in a very, like in a methodical way? Or is it one that you just know kind of what your priorities are and, and work through them? Um, you know, so, I mean, the thing that we're all as humans bound to is time, right? So we only have so much time in a day. And I would say that, you know, the most methodical part of my life is, uh, we ski pretty much every morning, um, from around like eight 30 to 10, 15. Yeah. Um, then I work in the middle of the day. Um, and then we, you know, do CrossFit, um, or yoga at night, kind of around five fifteen or six fifteen somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, that's a loose time structure. There's still some flexibility because things like, you know, weather and, and whatever happens. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's like dinner and, and just kind of day-to-day -day maintenance stuff. And then, you know, got to get a lot of sleep, of course. So I would say that is kind of like the, the detail-oriented side of the equation. But mm -hmm. we definitely do uh, do a lot of bigger goal setting, my coach and I, yeah. um, because there are certain events that I want to perform well at. And mm -hmm. there's certain events that we go into, you know, with the mindset of like, it doesn't matter how you perform. You're going to go in and work on technical skill at the event. And if you work on technical skills, you're going to get a really good result. Yeah. So, yeah, then I would say the other time bound aspect is looking at that bigger calendar and kind of reverse engineering. Where do I need to be before this event? Where do I need to be before this event? And I'm going to go here and the climate's going to be different. So what can I do in Florida to get ready for, you know, dry, cooler Washington state? Mm -hmm. You know, very different. So, yeah, I mean, it all really comes down to time and that calendar. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned there that you do, um, because that would be interesting, I think, to a lot of people knowing that, you know, you ski, but then you also have to, I mean, you ask any, it's funny, I just did a, an interview with Ben Johns, who's the, you know, the top pickleball player in the world. And he, uh, and you ask him, and it's like, no, I have to go to the gym, I go to the gym, but my focus is on, you know, explosiveness and things like that. And it is interesting that, um, that you said you do CrossFit, which, um, you know, I, I guess, um, I think you've also competed in it as well. So, uh, you know, why, why that for what you do, I guess, why is that a good fit for you for, um, for water skiing as well? Well, you know, the cool thing about CrossFit is, is once you take the time to learn about it as a sport, you learn how much is available to you in terms of once you start scaling and modifying things. So on the surface, it seems very much like these are the movements because that's what's in the wad and it's very yeah. black and white, cut and dry. Um, and I have so much respect for people who actually can do everything RX or close to RX yeah, yeah. because... <laughs> That is much easier uh, on paper than it is in person. <laughs> yeah, but, sure. you know, when you learn how to scale and then you know enough about your sport, 
you know, mm-hmm. what your needs are in your sport, you can start to create a program um, for yourself that it supports your skiing, but yeah. doesn't necessarily uh, continue to facilitate any imbalances that you have. You know, mm-hmm. at slalom ski, well, all water skiing except for jump skiing is a monoboard environment. So when you put one foot in front of the other, you're immediately changing your body's whole physical structure. Mm-hmm. And there's really no way to train out those imbalances, yeah. um, which isn't a bad thing, but we're always going to have those as water skiers. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to go to the gym and train things that just perpetuate those more. You have to train other things to stabilize around the imbalances. And that, you know, comes down to injury prevention and, and strength. And, and it's such a, you know, much bigger conversation. Um, but, you know, CrossFit offers, it can offer speed. It can offer strength. It can offer explosiveness. It can offer accessory work and injury prevention. Um, there's so much more to it. And that's coming from my very uneducated perspective in CrossFit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's just, it's, it's interesting how, um, uh, how people do kind of manage that because you're right that, you know, if you, if you do it purely as what people might see, it might not help you in the same way. But, um, but I think a lot of people don't realize you can, it is very fun. It can be very functional for whatever kind of you're doing as well. So, um, you know, you mentioned your, your, um, your parents are obviously best mentors for what you've done just because of their backgrounds. But um, as you've kind of continued to to grow over the next little while, are there uh, are there other people that you've looked at? Like, is there somebody that you think, wow, I'd, I'd really like to emulate that person? Is there somebody that you've really kind of looked to as that that mentor or person that um, that you see as, as just being, wow, that's the, the kind of thing I'd like to be able to do? Yeah. Um, you know, my coach, um, his name is Chet Rayleigh. And if you're familiar with wakeboarding, uh, the Rayleigh, he invented that. Um, very cool story. He dreamed it one night and then he went out to the the wakeboarders he was coaching and said, this is possible because I dreamt it. We're going to figure out how to do it. Um, and that, I mean, that story really is Chet. He is always thinking whatever sport he's coaching at the time, which he's coached many sports in his life. Um, he's very good at many sports. Um, He's always thinking about how can we make this better? Like, what is the, the next improvement? What's the next innovation? Yeah. Is it equipment? Is it how we perceive the sport? Is it like we need to use physics differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he has been such an asset to me um, because basically being the athlete who is not athletic, things do not come to me naturally um, mm-hmm. from an athletic perspective. Yeah. Um, he never gave up on me he just said hey you're gonna have to do this wrong like 500 times yeah and that's fine and i'll you know i'll be here we'll do it wrong 500 times first but we will find a way that you understand and so he has coached me on the same cue dozens of times saying it different ways and he'll be like it's been taking me a year to get you to understand what i meant by that and so you know his perseverance and commitment to helping people get better um is is probably unmatched in our sport um, I'm not sure, you know, about other sports, but he really does not give up on his athletes. Yeah. Um, and then from a mindset perspective, you know, I think he was like one class shy of a PhD in psychology. So talk about an asset to have, you know, yeah. in your corner. I mean, he really does understand mindset, um, from, I guess you could say a, an academic perspective, but he's also lived it, you know, he, yeah. he is, um, he's a world champion himself. Um, yeah. and so he, he has walked walked the talk. And, um, that's really cool because he can, um, reference his experiences. And, you know, when you go to this lake and you walk down in this dock, you're going to feel this way in the moment. 
and you know to this day he has not been wrong about <laughs> anything <laughs> yeah wow so, that's it's very it's very rare i think to have that type of uh, uh of an influence to both have kind of the ability to coach and also be a, a high level you know uh, have already done the high level stuff as well yeah i don't i don't you know it's not that common you'll see it a lot in skiing mm -hmm. um just because we don't have uh it's not easy to just get into coaching in skiing yeah. But yeah. it's easy to, as a really good skier, transition in, into coaching when you're ready. Mm -hmm. um, but he, you know, to this day, he's um, in his early 60s and he still skis at a high end level in his age group. That We have a master's division as well, like CrossFit does. Yeah. Um, and he still does that. And so it's, it's really cool because we really could go head to head and compete with each other. <laughs> you yeah. know, on a day to day level. And I mean, he will wipe the floor with me a lot of days. He has that much experience, but yeah, yeah. one day, one day I'm going to take him down. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been tremendous in terms of being that resource and just sharing and sharing and sharing with yeah. me and all of his students. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's great. Um, you, you touched on it. There is that the, the one thing I, I'm just wondering, um, from a mental performance standpoint, what, uh, what's it like for you? You know, are you, um, you know, when you get ready to compete, are you uh, like, do you have to visualize all of those things or is it just very technical and, and it's kind of just um, you've done it enough times that your body just goes through it? Um, what, what is that like for you? Is, is there a mental component to it? Um, yeah, there's a huge mental component. Um, I mean, personally, I do a lot of visualizing um, as well because it's easy to get hyper fixated on one thing that you want to work on or one thing that you don't want to go wrong. Yeah. Um, but there are multiple steps leading up to getting to that moment that you need to execute on accurately as well. And so that mental walkthrough um, of the competition, I think, is is a huge uh, key, but yeah. you also have to trust your training. You know, you have to trust it a lot. If you, if you don't trust it, you need to go back home and you need to work on some skills that you can trust yeah. and then come back, you know, to the tournament scene. Yeah. Um, and that's always, it's, it's a big indicator for a lot of skiers when they come back from a tournament. And it was like, I felt really nervous on the dock and I didn't know what I was doing. It's like, okay, we're not working on the right things with you. And let's find out what those right things are. Because you, you should feel confident in what you're working on. You don't have to be the best gear at the lake. You don't have to be, uh, you know, have the most flashy skills that you, you're working on. If we all were going to sit down and, you know, compare notes. But you should feel good that what you're working on is a path towards the best you. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that we we ask everybody um, is is to have a, a couple of tangible things, and I, I will tell you, probably people have already been listening and taking lots away because I, I know a lot of the things that um, you've already talked about have uh, you know cross sports too. So it doesn't have to be that they have to be in in water skiing to to kind of take away some of that stuff. Um, but one thing that I'm sure people have really um, you know if they haven't beforehand at least know now and and hopefully also connect with your stuff afterwards is that you've you've kind of built this full kind of um um lifestyle brand around um you know what um what you're passionate about um there's probably lots of people out there who just you know, will en envy that i'm sure and and if if you know that's something that i'm sure you did relatively methodically so are there a couple of things if someone's thinking well you know what i'd love to be able to build um, build my life around what I love. Um, are there a couple of things that um, that you'd suggest they do kind of to get themselves comfortable with that or move themselves ahead a little bit with that? You know, I think that first and foremost, you have to get really comfortable with the idea that um, 
in sharing your lifestyle brand and building it, you might feel embarrassed at times. There was a lot of times on social that I was sharing stories um, about experiences I had had in training or um, in the creation of our brand. And somebody might say, oh my God, why would you ever want anybody to know about that? But the truth is if you don't give people the truth, you don't give them the story, there's nothing to talk about. Um, and that's just kind of marketing 101, right? Yeah, if, yeah. if you don't give if you don't give them something to talk about, they're not going to talk about your brand. Yeah. So, you know, and then learning how to take what you might see as failures and that you've been trying to sweep under the rug and bury in the closet behind as many layers of stuff as you can and say, no, you know what, I'm going to pull the failure out. I'm going to really look at it now that I'm years past it and I'm over it. And I'm going to say, here's what I learned from it. Here's what I could have done better. If you're living this right now, I want you to know you're going to be okay. And here's how to get past it faster than I did. Sharing that on your social, that gives people something to believe in. Mm -hmm. So when I first, you know, created um, my, or crafted more or less my, my social to be more around, I'm going to share my journey towards becoming a pro slalom skier. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people are like, I can't believe you would admit that you want to do this because like, what if you fail, right? Right. And it's like, right, but if I don't tell people, nobody's going to know. And then when we created Ski or Die, it was we need to share the really real raw side of it. Because if people think that all pro athletes, it's sunshine and rainbows every day when they're training, you are very, very mistaken. And I think that's somewhere where our sport may have gotten a little bit left behind is we stopped sharing what was really going on. Yeah. You know, in a lot of sports, all those athletes are under the microscope. I mean, how many times, like even in the off season, basketball players, football players, they're talking about everything and their personal life and stuff that like, you're like, how did you even find that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But they're getting talked about and that's how you build a brand. For us, we can take our own dirty laundry, if you will. And we can share, here's how to avoid where I messed up. I wish somebody had told me this when I was in this situation. And it shows that you're a human. And really, what is that what lifestyle comes down to? A lifestyle brand is about your lifestyle. So I think that, you know, really sharing the truth is huge. And then when you share the truth, there's no story that you have to remember about your brand to keep right. And oh my God, don't let anything else slip. Yeah. And I think so that's the first thing is, you know, really getting comfortable with your truth so that you can then share that because it should be very foundational in your lifestyle brand if it's an authentic lifestyle brand. Yeah. Well, uh, that brings us to if if people want to, um, you know, see kind of what you're talking about and, and some of those things you've shared and, and the best ways to follow your story over the next little while, what are some of the best ways to do that, Elizabeth? Yeah. So, um, you know, my biggest platform is probably Instagram, although I've recently gotten better and better at TikTok. TikTok <laughs> is so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if all of us know what we're doing on it yet, but um, it's really, really fun. And my handle is the same on both platforms at Elizabeth Montavon, M-O-N-T-A-V-O-N. Mm-hmm. Um, but also my website, um, skiordie.shop. That's Ski or Die is my lifestyle brand. I have my own website as well, but I feel like Ski or Die really is the embodiment of what I try to live every single day. Um, it's, it's a beacon to me as well. You know, that's the thing about creating your lifestyle brand is that you create it because you want it to be a beacon of, of hope or empowerment or courage to other people. But it also needs to be a beacon to yourself. You know, for those days that you're down, you need to look at that brand or that logo and go, that's right, I created that because that works and I believe in that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you haven't looked at those, we're going to put those in the show notes, but definitely do that because uh, I mean, you know, uh, we talk about it having an apparel piece to it, but it has training on there. It has, you know, your podcast it has lots of really cool stuff that, um, you know, it really, um, it, you share a lot of, of yourself and, and um, you know, how that fits in. So it's, it's really cool. Definitely take a look at it. Um, if you haven't hit subscribe on the podcast, do that right now because we have great people every week, just like Elizabeth, um, sharing some really cool stories. And and uh, I know today has been one of those days. So um, you know, thank you so much for t- not just taking the time, but sharing so much about um, you know what uh, you know your your lifestyle is like, but also just some of the things that they can take away as as both an athlete and an entrepreneur and all of those things. So thank you very much for sharing today, Elizabeth. Appreciate it. Yeah, my, my pleasure. I, I love talking about it. And I, I hope it, you know, helps somebody else get better. Um, but thanks for having me, Jamie. Yeah, no problem at all. And, and we will talk to everybody else again on Big Idea, Big Moves. Thanks for listening to the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Big Idea underscore Big Moves. We love to hear your feedback. Till next time, remember, big change comes from small, consistent actions.